1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. ctmobile.com.
0: Hey, guys. Welcome to the Rachel Zimmerman Show right here on KMOX. Thank you so much to everyone who listened to our debut episode last week. I'm excited to get into episode two. Let's start out by talking about some stories here from the week that I just can't stop thinking about. Okay, first of all, an Oklahoma man has been exonerated after spending 30 years behind bars. This is just crazy. Uh, 30 years behind bars for a crime he didn't commit. This is a 61-year-old Oklahoma man, so half of his life behind bars. Perry Lott was convicted of burglary and rape in 1987. He was released in 2018 after DNA testing found he didn't commit the crime. So on Tuesday, a judge officially dismissed the case, exonerating Lot. 35 years later. He will be able to seek up. This is crazy. He will be able to seek up to one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars in compensation for his wrongful imprisonment. So 30 years behind bars for a crime he didn't commit, exonerated by DNA evidence. And the most money he can try to get is one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Ugh, That's heartbreaking. He told reporters, quote, I can finally shut this door and move on with my life. Best wishes to Perry Lott. I'm so sorry that that happened to him. Uh, This is another this is a sad story. A nine year old was handcuffed in Florida. Uh, His family is suing the city of Oviedo, Florida, and police after school resource officers handcuffed their child at school. Uh, so according to a police report, staff attempted to de-escalate a situation with a fourth grade student, a nine-year-old, who was cursing, screaming and throwing things at an elementary school. Video of the incident shows staff using blocking pads, which are made for situations like this. But later, they they just couldn't get him under control. Later, officers handcuffed the child. He spent about 13 minutes in handcuffs before being released. Look, first of all, it's sad that a nine year old is acting out so badly that actions like this are taken. Uh, you know, it's it's sad that the blocking pads had to be taken out first of all. the The child was cursing and screaming and throwing things. That's got to be scary for the other students. It's got to be a really tough situation for teachers and administrators and these these school uh, resource officers. But then to put them in handcuffs, it's like, what are we doing here, folks? I I get it. I've never been in a—I shouldn't say I get it because I've never been in a situation like that where you have to make that tough decision. But such bad optics, and it's got to be traumatizing for the kid. And there's just got to be a better way. But, ugh. So, you know, that's a nice, bright, happy story. (laughs) Sorry about that. Let's move on. This one's also sad, but it's cool at the same time. So it's sad because a 104-year-old woman has passed away, uh, but she did pass away one week after attempting a skydiving record. So this is this is pretty cool. So it's a 104-year-old Chicago woman. On October 1st, Dorothy Hoffner leapt from a plane and successfully dove. 13,500 feet, attempting to set the Guinness World Record for the oldest woman to complete a tandem parachute jump. And here's the best part. She didn't tell her family about the fact that she was attempting this ahead of time. She just went and did it. Her family found out the next day when it was in the newspaper. That is pretty cool. Uh, and then the on Monday, this, this past Monday, her family says that Dorothy Hoffner died peacefully in her sleep. So uh, she can still wind up in the record books. Guinness is actually in the process of confirming her record attempt. But yeah, sweet and sad. You know, sad that she's left us, but really cool that she was doing such cool things that late in life. She's an inspiration. So rest in peace, Dorothy Hoffner. Um... This is this is you know I feel like doctors and nurses have had the roughest past couple of years that you could possibly imagine covid obviously and then the controversy surrounding covid I don't blame them for being burnt out, but according to a new study, physician burnout is rising. Uh, it's actually turning into an epidemic in the US healthcare system. New data shows nearly 63% of physicians report signs of burnout such as emotional exhaustion and depersonalization at least once per week. So if you know a physician or a nurse or anyone in healthcare, make sure, you know, you thank them for what they're doing. Employees are sick with guilt about getting sick. Oh, this is totally me. Anytime I I am sick, I do everything I can to not call off work. And I know, especially after COVID, that's the wrong thing to do. If you are sick, you need to stay home. But it was just so baked into the culture for so long that you should tough it out and go into work anyway. Because for me, I don't want to leave my coworkers shorthanded and I don't want, you know, there to be a mess at work because they didn't show up. So I'm a person that typically tries to tough it out and still go in. Well, here's a new survey from Bamboo HR. They found that nearly 65% of U.S. workers say they experience stress, anxiety, guilt, or fear when requesting sick time from their employer. 25% or 1 in 4 workers say they had been either pressured or explicitly asked to work while they've been sick. And nearly 90% also say they worked through sickness over the past 12 months. So this is just a reminder to us people. We shouldn't feel bad if we're sick. We can't help it. It's better to not go in and get other people sick and turn it into a whole mess. But it's hard to remember sometimes when you're just naturally kind of a guilty person like I am. All right. Final story here. A sugar shortage. Why did I say it like that? A sugar shortage is threatening candy prices. Extreme weather has dealt a major blow to the sugar industry worldwide this year. And that could end up costing you more this Halloween. Meteorologists at Everstream Analytics say this has been a very tough year for global sugar. If you look at the top 10 producing countries this year, six of them have had extreme weather. And the ramification of that is higher prices for anything that you use sugar for, including Halloween candy. So uh, it's expected to decrease the global sugar supply by 10 to 15% over the 2023 2024 growing season. So, Halloween candy is expensive enough, but now we have a sugar shortage on top of it to worry about. All right, guys, those are just some stories from the week that I was thinking about and wanted to share with you on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. When we come back, I have a great interview with Andy Karanziff from Crown Candy Kitchen. I really like Andy. I had a great time talking to him and just kind of discussing, you know... His philosophy around running a restaurant, around running a St. Louis institution like Crown Candy Kitchen. So it's a great talk. I hope you'll stick around. It's the Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. Crown Candy Kitchen is as St. Louis as it gets. It was founded over 100 years ago, and you can still find it at 1401 St. Louis Avenue. Now, even if you've never been, I'm sure you've heard legends of the heart-stopping BLT. Or maybe you know someone who's tried to take on the Five Malt Challenge. Andy Karanziff is the third-generation owner of Crown Candy. He has an active Twitter feed chronicling his hands-on approach to running the restaurant and the challenges they face operating out of Old North St. Louis. I sat down with Andy to discuss these topics and more on The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX.
1: I'm Andy Karanziff, owner of Crown Candy Kitchen. Um, I have been doing this for the last 40-something years in our family business, Crown Candy was established in 1913 by my grandfather, Harry. Um, it was just a candy store, an ice cream store at one point, And then in the 20s, my grandfather put food in there also. So that is where we, you know, become a kind of threefold business where we're ice cream, candy, and a restaurant. My grandfather retired due to health reasons in 1951. My father took it over then. Uh, I had a, two older brothers, uh, Mike who passed away almost mm, 11 years ago now. And then my brother, Tom, who's uh, retired. He retired to take care of my mother, who was sick with dementia. Mm. She recently passed in um, January. Thank you. Um, But now it is myself, my wife, Sherry. And then I've got uh, a couple nieces that are working for us now. So we still have a family connection. I've I've got a few people that have been there for 15, 20, 25 years. So we are all kind of family. So it's been a family business on that corner for 110 years. And we live upstairs, Sherry and I do. So it's uh, it's lovely not to have to drive to work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even when I'm not at work, I'm at work. So that's always a little bit of a challenge for me sometimes. But, yeah, w- my brothers and I took it over in 91. We've run it ever since. And it just has fallen into my lap. I'm the youngest. So uh, it is a great joy to do this. And it is also uh, very stressful and very hard sometimes, especially in today's world. Yeah. But I wouldn't do anything different. And, you know, we're not going nowhere. We're staying right in that corner. We're not moving. That's where we belong. This is our neighborhood. And, you know, this is just who we are.
0: So it's obviously heavily a family business. Did you always know this is what you would end up doing? Or did you ever think about doing anything else?
1: Well... I spent six months at Florist Valley uh, drinking Diet Dr. Pepper and eating <laughs> cheese fries and pretended I was going to college. And I realized, now this isn't going to work for me. So I thought I took the easier way out and went to work down at the store. It was great. You know, I was young and, you know, got to work and made some decent money and, you know, kind of could do whatever I wanted. And then, you know, over the years, responsibility and and you kind of all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and you realize that this is really important and you really have to be in it. So, you know, I've had a few aha moments in my life where I realized how important Crown Candy is to our family, but how much more important it is to the community Mm. that we're in. So it is, like I said, it's a great pleasure to do this and enjoy, but there's some days when I just want to run away and go live on a Island somewhere.
0: <laughs> you talk about that aha moment. Do you think that's common for people who work in restaurants? Like they just kind of get into it and then they they fall in love with it at a certain point.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there. Th- this is a hard industry. I don't care if you're working for you know a family business or a corporate you know a chain or or whatever. This to to be in this business, you've really got to be dedicated to it. And You've got to love it because if you wake up one day and you realize this isn't for you, then you need to move on and and go find whatever your passion is. Because we have so many highs, but we also have so many lows when we do this, you know, the, the long days, the long nights, you know, the, the difficult customers, the difficult employees, the difficult bosses. But but that's just, that's the bad part, you know, the joys of it. You know, I, I get so much, you know, it makes me so happy when I'm working and I have, you know, a, a lady that's been coming into our store for 50 or 60 or 70 years and she tells me this is the neighborhood I grew up in, grew up in. This is my first job. Your grandfather or father gave me this job, and I'm so glad you're still here. And that's what really kind of – that can wash away all the bad stuff in a heartbeat. It just makes it all worthwhile to have these stories, you know, and and that's what we're all about is, you know, being there for everybody and being consistent and taking care of people.
0: So, you've been doing this for over 40 years. How is the restaurant different from when you started? And what do you think is the biggest difference post COVID?
1: So, the business has obviously increased over the years. You know, it, it used to be strictly, we were open to 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, we had people living down there, you had people working downtown, you had people going downtown for a lot of stuff. And that is one thing that has really changed over the last few years is that after five o'clock at night, there's hardly anything going on there's no draw for people to come downtown and and it hurts because you know we used to have a good thriving nighttime business but it's just not viable anymore mm. Part Of that problem, also, is the fact that we don't have enough employees. I need to hire two people. We've been trying for six months and we can't We get interviews, but nobody shows up. So, and we're all in that same boat, we're all struggling to find employees. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, you know, it's just a different world. And I people want to blame COVID, and maybe that's that's part of it, but I think there's a lot of factors that are involved in that. It's just it's, the world has changed the way we do business, the way people earn money. It's just as, um, Made things a little bit more interesting for all of us. I go back to thinking about my father when he ran the place, and I was a you know a teenager, and he would have all these business people come in, and he'd have all the politicians come in, and he'd have all the movers and shakers come in for lunch, and they'd go back and visit my dad, and and they'd have these conversations, and I would you know get to listen and 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 to see you know how my father was working in the room and and making friends and taking care of people. So that's where I think I get a lot of it from from my dad is, you know, you got to take care of your customers. You got to take care of everybody, whether they're really important or whether they're just, you know, the the guy that lives down the street or the mom who lives down the street, you take care of everybody. Mm -hmm. You treat them all the same, but it's definitely a harder business since COVID. Like I said, we're struggling with, you know, employees, Getting people to come downtown is a little bit of a struggle now for us all because people have a perception. You go to the city, it's bad. Is it bad? Well, I can't deny it sometimes when you guys are reporting on how many homicides were ha- happened over the weekend. So that's hard to defend that. But it's also a great place. There's great people there. There's great architecture. There are great businesses down here. And, you know, we're all fighting the good fight. And we all choose to be here. So... You know, I, that's like when people ask me, why don't you move? Why don't you go out to Chesterfield or St. Charles County? You'll do so much better. I said, no, this is this is our home. This is, you know, this neighborhood didn't give up on us, and we won't give up on it.
0: Take me through a typical morning opening up the restaurant.
1: All right. I'm an early riser, so, you know what, 4.30, 5 o'clock, I'm up, feed the dogs, make a cup of coffee, get downstairs, get everything turned on, start waiting for my deliveries. And for the most part, they're all on time, but occasionally there's hiccups. Uh, it depends. I mean, depending on what time of year it is, I could be getting the chocolate machine cranked up right now and get ready to start making chocolate pumpkins and witches and turkeys and getting all that chocolate going for the holiday season. Um But you never know because this morning I came in with that intention and I have to be working in the kitchen today because we're short two people. So that means I get to go in the kitchen. So, But you do what you got to do. I can be down there and be making ice cream. I can be making chocolate syrup. I can be making hot fudge. There's there's plenty of things to do. Just, you know, getting, getting things cleaned up and ready to go, getting things prepped. Uh, waiting for my employees to show up and getting them in and getting them going and you know pumping them up for the day you know because that's part of the and it's part of the process you got to take care of everybody you know take care of your employees and you know they're important without them we don't go they, we might be the uh, the vehicle but they're the engine that drives us.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk about the security cameras because I follow you on Twitter and you'll often post video of what's going on in the intersection outside of Crown Candy and the you know, people blowing past the stop sign. What what made you decide to put those cameras up? What made you decide to start posting?
1: The cameras are just kind of a natural thing, unfortunately, that now we, you know, we put them up just because if for security for our customers, for my employees, and for the, for the business. Um, I don't know how much good they do, because I don't know how much people really care about if they're on camera nowadays or not, because obviously, you know, people do dumb stuff and they get caught on camera all the time. Uh, I put them up just for that reason, and then it just dawned on me, I don't know how many years ago when I started doing this, that I'm going to take this video off of the uh, security security footage, and I'm going to post this you know, this knucklehead that's going 50 or 60 miles an hour down St. Louis Avenue and blowing through the stop signs with no regard for anybody else, and it's just kind of taken on a life of its own where – you know, I've had people passing on the wrong side of the road. I've had people passing in the uh, parking lane. I've had, you know, crashes in that intersection. Thankfully, nobody got seriously hurt in any of those, in, you know, those instances. Uh, so now I just – and I actually I actually have to have a standard now because if, if they're going too slow through the stop sign, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> they want to see the people going 40 or 50 or 60 miles an hour driving like a real idiot. So, so if I – if I get information from my employees who text me random times, like 232, red car, I'll go find it on the video and I'll post it. And it gets a lot of attention, but it's also kind of sad because it's kind of the state of our world. I mean, we don't own that. The city of St. Louis doesn't own it. It's There's bad drivers everywhere. It's just I'm fortunate or unfortunate to have cameras out there to capture them.
0: And you've petitioned for change, but it hasn't happened yet.
1: No, I've, I've, well, I have. You know, ask and you know, I, I would love to have whether it's speed humps or bump out curbs or flashing stop signs or something to just kind of help you know reduce the amount of people driving like knuckleheads. But so far, I've gotten a lot of we're working on it, we're working on it, we're working on it, and I've got nothing really to show from it, so I just kind of you know carry on and see what happens and just keep going about taking care of what I can take care of.
0: It's a very positive attitude.
1: You have to. I mean, I, I mean, we all, like I said, we have our highs and lows here and I get, I walk out the door some mornings and there's a bar a block away from us. And you know, they might have a good busy night and they're, they're good neighbors. So, you know, I don't have any issue with them, but unfortunately I come out and their cars of their patrons have been broken into. So I see, broken glass. And I see, you know, it just makes me sad. I, I see the uncut grass. I see that, you know, the build- buildings that aren't being taken care of. And it, it wears you down. It just, you know, I've always wanted to be an optimist, but sometimes I'm also a realist. It's like, you know, we're, we didn't fall apart overnight. We're not going to get fixed overnight. It's not this mayor's fault. It's not the last mayor's fault. It's just something that's happened to the city where, I guess, we got a little bit apathetic and we got used to uh, the decline and the decay, and, you know, we fight the fight, and people are trying to do what they can. But I see some some neighborhoods like Soulard and the Hill, they get speed humps and, and they get, you know, streets repaved. And then I see our neighborhood and, you know, we, we've got overgrown grass and, and vacant lots that look, you know, terrible. And I think, well, this is – what kind of message does this send when people come from out of town to us, because we're a destination for a lot of tourists, so this is the takeaway they take. They might come down and have a great lunch and a fabulous time, but then they leave and they drive past all of this, and these corridors are important. It, it leaves an impression on people. It's like, oh, my God, we went to this great place, but it was in this awful area, and I'm just like, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement. So we, we struggle with that, but unfortunately, guess what? People get past it, and they still come see us, but I would just like it to be a little bit better for everybody.
0: And we'll be back with part two of our interview with Andy Karanziff of Crown Candy Kitchen on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. We're back with part two of our interview with Andy Karanziff of Crown Candy Kitchen on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. I often see you lifting up other restaurants in St. Louis. How important is that sense of
1: community to you? Oh, it's huge. I mean, especially... I mean, all of them, but especially the ones in the city that are fighting the same fight that we're fighting. You know, a lot of these people are my friends, and, you know, we're fortunate that we've got 110 years of history behind us. So I've got a pretty good client, or uh, you know, customer base. So I'm fortunate, even in some downtimes, people will always be there to support us. You know, for some of these places that are new, and they're great, and they're, and they're really cool you got to put the word out. You've got to get people to come down and patronize them because I I want them to succeed. You know, I can remember years ago when people didn't want people to succeed because I want the business. I don't want you to be successful. I want to be the one who's successful. Now, you know what? That's one of the greatest things about our St. Louis restaurant community is how we all support each other, how we, you know, we'll we'll collaborate or we'll just, you know, support them by whether it's, you know, going down there and, and And spending money with them, or you know taking them out and and spend you know getting them drunk because they had a rough day or or uh, just publicizing them, putting them out there. I'm fortunate that I have you know a lot of people on Twitter that follow me, so when I tell you this is a good place to go eat, it's a good place to go eat.
0: We kind of touched on this when you were talking about watching your dad run the restaurant but but what is your philosophy overall when it comes to food and when it comes to service?
1: Well, I learned it from my father. You give people a good quality pot product, you take care of those people, and they will come back. So, you want to be consistent. And, you know, it used to be the joke is change is a bad thing around crowns because people want the egg salad to taste exactly like the egg salad to always taste. They want the BLT to be the, the way it always has been. They want, you know, the chocolate shake to taste the same. So things don't change a whole lot down there. You know, we might tweak things a little bit, but for the most part, it's, it's consistent. And you take care of everybody. You, you know, like I said, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, they walk through those doors. They came here to give us... They're hard-earned money. So I want to make sure they have the best experience. I want them to, you know, have good food, good ice cream, good candy, a good experience. And, you know, we do that, and, you know, and and that starts with my, with me. It starts with my attitude and and how I, my mood affects everybody. So if I come into work and I'm crabby and grouchy and that's, I used to be a lot more like that than I am now. Now I'm a little bit more mellow, even though people are probably going to chuckle when they hear that. Um, But You've got to spread the positive energy. So you got to make sure your employees are all in a good place because they're my ambassadors. They're the ones who are out there in front taking care of my customers. And so it's kind of symbiotic. We need each other. And I'm very fortunate that I have great employees, and I'm very fortunate that I have great customers. So this goes back to two simple things. You know, take care of your customers and give them a good quality product
0: you talk about kind of mellowing out is that something that you think just happened naturally just living life or was there something that spurred that on
1: um i think it just kind of happened it's just uh, you know the older i got the older i get the smarter my father looks or is so you know you, you don't take in account some of the stuff they tell you when you're younger cuz we know everything but then you realize when you get older that you know there's a different way to do things. There's a better way to treat people. There's, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, hard work, but there's also something to be said for taking a step back and maybe giving people an extra day off. That's something we never used to do. We never used to close. Now obviously COVID changed that for all of us, but even now I'll give my employees an extra day off just because I think, you know what, you guys are fried. We have all been working hard. It's time to, you know, take a break, give you an extra day to, you know, recharge and then get back at it.
0: Yeah, I, I saw you tweet around Labor Day that you guys were closing just for the sake of your mental health, and that was just something you needed to do.
1: Yeah, that and that's it. It's, it I gave them opportunity to have three days off. So And they all, they all, you know, I, I take a poll. And I say, what do you guys want to do? And I think sometimes they're a little afraid to say, we want to close. But they're not no more. Now they appreciate the same thing. You know, it's like this is a take advantage of it and, you know, do nothing. Do something, you know, but, but just don't come to work and and just relax and get ready to go for the next day.
0: Okay, my final question, Andy. Uh, you guys are such a legacy. Tell me about some of the famous people who have come in and some of the coolest things that have happened while you were working.
1: Um. Well, I mean, probably one of the most famous people was Bill Murray. I think it was back in the early 2000s. They were or maybe, the, no, probably the late 1990s. They were filming a movie here, Larger Than Life, and they were filming because of the flooding. So I guess it was 93, maybe, and... I looked up one day on a Wednesday afternoon, and Bill Murray's walking through the front door. And I was like, huh, he's taller than I thought he'd be. (laughs) And he was real nice. And he came in, and, you know, he got a malt and got some candy. And, you know, we talked for a little bit, and then off he went. But then he sent his uh, assistant back in, and he says, I want to buy malts for the entire staff. And I'm like, cool, how many do you need? He says about 100. So um, I spent the next couple hours making 100 malts for the entire crew. So that was one of the cool things that, that happened. Um, we've had, you know, and back in the good old days when Jerry Berger was alive, he would bring down celebrities. I mean, we had um, Carol Channing, Tony Curtis, Marvin Hamlish. A lot of these people that are, you know, the, they don't recognize those names nowadays, but they were a big deal back then. Um, we've had you know the local TV people come in, the radio people come in, you know politicians come in. Uh, you know I never forget my dad. You know one time he pointed at a guy and he says that guy there. I said yeah he says he knows where a lot of bodies are buried and I do think he meant bodies. But <laughs> but uh, I'm like interesting that he could have the chief of police in and he could have uh, you know the fire chief in and then he could have you know some other people that maybe weren't exactly on the right side of the but it's just the the dichotomy of the people that come into our business. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, more, more recently, um, uh, Anna Garten came in. Um, I think that was uh, thanks to Danny Meyer, sent her down to uh, have lunch with us. So she was really nice. Um, one of the biggest ones and coolest ones was having Adam Richman from Man Vs. Food come in. He came in. It was funny. They called us, and it was the first season. They said, we want to do this show, and we're filming people doing this guy doing food challenges. I'm like, sure, whatever. That's great. Come on down. And then they called and said, well, we can't make it. The schedule doesn't work. And I said, okay, whatever. No big deal. And then they called me like three days later and they said, we are coming down. It'll be on, you know, blah, blah, blah this day. And so they just showed up with this film crew right before Christmas when we are really busy. And uh, he came in and tried to drink five milkshakes in a half an hour. And he was a really nice guy. The crew was great. Um, my staff loved it. It was, you know, this. it was exciting for them to meet, you know, a. a I am be on TV also because they got some airtime. He unfortunately uh, failed. He only drank four and a half malts because it didn't take my advice. Always (laughs) drink vanilla. Don't mix up the flavors. Mm -hmm. Just drink, keep it simple. Uh, So then he was leaving after failing, and I gave him a BLT because he looked like death. I said, you're going to be hungry in about a half an hour. Eat this BLT. You'll feel better. Two years later, I get a phone call. He wants to come back down and film Best Sandwich in America. And, you know, he, he came in, and once again, he was a great guy. We had a great time. Uh, we did not win. We lost to Al's Hot Italian Beef in that episode. But he said that BLT saved my life, and I always knew that if we ever do something else, I'm going to come back and film it. So, you know, I learned that from my father. You take care of people, and, and maybe it comes back to you, you know, and maybe it doesn't, but it's, just, it's the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I love my free publicity. I love, I love that limelight of, oh, look at the celebrities here, but I also appreciate the guy that works down the fact at the factory that comes by and gets his chili before he goes to work or the the mom who comes in after school with her two kids and gets some ice cream cones that's that's the reason we're still there you know it's it's not the celebrity factor it's the uh, every day person factor that keeps us going
0: well andy candy thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it
1: well, thank you for having me
0: I want to say a big thanks to Andy for joining me today. I thought that was a great discussion and I especially loved hearing about what a huge influence his dad was on his life. Just a couple little uh, side notes here before we wrap up this segment. Just a reminder that you can uh, visit Crown Candy Kitchen at 1401 St. Louis Avenue. And we mentioned Andy's Twitter account a couple times. You can follow him at KZIEFF at KZIEFF on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rachel Z S T L. Same handle on Instagram too if you'd like to follow me there. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, I would love to hear them. You're listening to the Rachel Zimmerman show on KMOX. All right, let's talk food for a little bit here. One of my favorite topics. Uh, But it's not all great news. Girl Scouts are discontinuing a fan favorite cookie. So I actually haven't tried this. But the Raspberry Rallies were something that they debuted in 2022 as a sister cookie to the iconic Thin Mint. So uh, they replaced the Thin Mint's chocolate wafer with a bright Pink berry flavored cookie, uh, but they were dipped in the same chocolate coating as the thin mints. So the rallies were only ever sold online. They started during the 2023 cookie season. And this was apparently a strategy aimed at boosting e-commerce skills among the Girl Scouts, which is like the cutest sentence I've ever heard. I need my nine-year-old to be better at e-commerce. <laughs> but uh, the they apparently sold out immediately and you could find boxes of these Raspberry r- Rallies on eBay for up to $50. Well, it turns out they are discontinuing these cookies. They're taking a pause this season to prioritize supplying our classic varieties. So if you were looking forward to trying the raspberry rallies. I'm sorry, I have bad news. I have even more bad news. Um, prices may be going up when it comes to Girl Scout cookies. So it looks like they're going uh, from five to seven dollars per box in 2024, depending on where you are. Uh, the interim CEO of the Girl, Sc- Girl Scouts Heart of the Hudson chapter in New York wrote in a letter to parents that Quote, in order to combat rising production and material costs, we will be increasing the price of all cookie packages to six dollars. So that's just in New York. But I mean, with the way inflation is, I can't help but think that's going to be happening all over the place. So I'm sorry. I love Girl Scout cookies as much as the next person. And this is horrible news. Inflation has sunk its claws into every aspect of our life. And it's a little bit of a bummer. Okay, I hate to do it to you. Guys, I'm telling you, I hate to do it, but I have to tell you about this. A deadly superbug is being found in soda fountains. So if you listen to the Dave Glover Show, you've heard me talk about this a little bit. Um, I keep seeing studies where people go in and they they take apart the soda fountains at like a quick Trip or a McDonald's or something, and they do tests and they see what kind of bacteria is going on. And the study says this is from Loma Linda University. They recently published a study in the journal Drinking Water that found that fountains are contaminated with bacteria, which is this indicator of water with coliform bacteria, excuse me, an indicator of water impurity. Um, the germs were in 80 percent of taps of soda fountains, 80 percent, 50 percent of restaurant tap water and 20 percent of water vending machines. So if you're someone who likes their big fountain sody, and I know a lot of us are, I'm not one of those people who get it every day like my friend Kevin Wheeler, but I like to treat myself on occasion to a nice big fountain sodi from QT. And I know that sodi is a divisive term, and I'm you will always hear it on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. I'm sorry. If you have a problem, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to change for you. I will call it sodi forever. <laughs> um, but if you like the big fountain sodas, Just be careful because they could have some bacteria lurking, okay? One final story here. According to a survey from Juicy Juice, parents would rather get a cavity filled than pack their child's lunch. Since we're talking about food, parents would rather get a cavity filled than pack their child's lunch. Uh, So apparently everyone is just so busy in the mornings that no one wants to go through the effort of making a homemade lunch, which is understandable. I'm not a parent, but I could imagine if I were in a rush and then it's like, oh, no, I've got to pack a PB&J now. That's taking a ton of time out of my morning. Um, This new survey from Juicy Juice revealed that 26% of parents say packing a lunchbox is actually their least favorite chore. And nearly one in three parents reported that they would rather clean the bathroom than pack a child's lunch. One in five would rather get a cavity filled I mean, look, I get that it's an inconvenience, but uh, I would rather pack a lunch than get a cavity filled. My goodness. All right, guys, thanks for listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show. Next week on the show, we have a great guest, former Missouri Senator Jeff Smith. He has been to prison. He has an amazing story. He's a friend of mine, and he tells his story uh, in detail next week on The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX.